Good morning. All right. Uh, we're really kind of zeroing in on this what's next theme. It's been a great kind of series going into what's next for our life. We're always kind of asking these questions around January time, right? What's next? What's next for me? What does this mean for my job? What does this mean for my career? What is this for the relationship? Am I going to put a ring on it? What, what does this mean? What is next? Um, am I not going to put a ring on uh, it? What, what does this mean? Um, and so we've kind of been uh, going through that in different ways. And right now we're kind of in the tail end of this series. And so we're zeroing in on uh, how do I take this uh, Christian thing? How do I take this life to the next level? How do I prepare myself for what's next? So today we really want to kind of center on that theme. We have a great series getting ready to come out in two weeks called Transplant. Uh, you want to be here for that. I'm just going to give you a little teaser. Next week we'll have graphics and, and stuff to show you, but... Um, I'm so excited about the next series that it, my head's been hard to get on this one. This one's good. This one, I've been liking this one, but I'm so excited. Is Easter, guys? Easter's going to be awesome. So, like, it's, um, yeah. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I'm, I'm ready through June, like all the way to June. I've already have everything planned out. And they're like, you have to change. The only problem with that is I'm so excited about June that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working too far ahead. Yeah, I don't know. That's, those words have never been spoken by me before. Um, that's where we're at. But anyway, what's next? We're finishing this up. Next week will be the last week of what's next. But today we're, we're delving into how do we get to what's next in a healthy way? Um, how do we get all that we can out of what's next? And I think sometimes that, that comes to us because maybe what's next for us, we see it coming. It's kind of the, the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's attached to a locomotive, right? We, we know what's next, and it's a... I hear a train coming. It's coming down the track. Um, I'm surprised we didn't break out into song right then. Uh, and so, you know, you hear that, you hear what's next coming, and you're like, I don't know, I need a brace for it. How do we deal with those situations, right? Because what's next is, isn't always this nice, dreamy, oh, sugar plums and fairies going on. It sometimes is, is kind of rough. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, the main point, the main sentence that encapsulates everything today uh, before we get to this, I want to say one more thing about the, about the vision business meeting tonight is that if you're don't, you didn't fall into one of those three categories and you still want to come, please come. Just when we get to the voting part, don't vote. vote. We want you to be a part of what happens here and see, uh, catch that vision and see what's going on. So please don't feel excluded like, oh, I can't come. You already have. If you were planning on coming, you're like, well, no, I won't come. The weather wasn't going to do that for you. Please don't let me saying that uh, keep you away. Please, 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 please come. Um, so there we go. The sentence that encapsulates today's uh, message and thought is this. What's next will be more successful if it's done with others. What's next will be more successful if it's done with others. And this is kind of like a, yeah, I know. But some of us really have this mindset of, I'll do it myself, right? We've heard that uttered by our kids, but if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of we say it too. I'll do it myself. And there's a certain amount of pride that happens when you get to do Bowen yesterday. We can hear in their playroom is in the basement and we're sitting above their playroom and he goes, Oh, that is so awesome. I did it by myself. <laughs> and I, like, I got to see what just what my five-year-old son just did by himself. Cause who knows what could be happening right now. <laughs> I walked down there. He's got the coolest hot wheels, loop-de-loop track ever. I was like, 
proud of my boy. Um, but, so there's this certain pride in doing it by yourself, but it'll be vastly more successful if done with others, right? If I would have been there doing it with him, we might have had another whoop-de-whoop, as he would say, uh, in there. We could, we could have done some other fun things, but that was great. I know he's proud of it. It's fa- fantastic. But what's next will be infinitely more successful if done with others. Case in point, the breezeway that got erected yesterday. Now, if Jared would have got a wild hair and said, hey, guys, or hey, Jared, let's go buy a five-ton <laughs> breezeway and put it up by yourself. Now, that would have been a comedy of errors, would it not? Now, I have faith that I could have gotten something up. It would not have been pretty. <laughs> might have had a piece of plywood attached to it and been a trapezoid instead of a rectangle. <laughs> but it would have got, something would have been put up there. And then, then yesterday, we were putting these huge truss pieces up. And guys, thank you if you're here. Wives, thank you for letting your husbands out. It was great. Um, three hours. Three hours. It was a blur. It was fantastic. And no one got hurt. Praise you, Jesus. <laughs> I know there's anointing on that thing, right? <laughs> so there was a couple times we're not going to talk about, but that's okay. Um, so we're, we're putting up these uh, trusses yesterday. And there's, it takes seven guys to pick one of these six up over our head. Seven guys. These are heavy, heavy things. Now, Jared doing it by himself. Now, there's a thing around the office. We call it housing it. It is when you have something that should not be done by one person and it's done by one person, maybe overzealously. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, it's talking about my father, not me. Come on, people. Uh, so we're calling it housering it, and that's what happens. Even if I would have tried to houser one of these beams, Paul, that was not going to happen. That would have been called a hernia. Uh, so that's, that's what would have happened. It took seven guys all working in concert together to pick one of these things up. And then we had to use that leverage thing and, and get it up the, to work. And it all worked fantastic once we worked together. One guy by himself could never have accomplished that in our lives and where we're at in this Christian faith. Let me tell you, we're going to be exponentially more successful when we do it together than by ourselves. I always tell the story over and over again about St. Augustine reading the scripture by himself. It's 500 AD. It's the first time that anyone's reading the scripture to themselves. And his mentor, St. Ambrose, walks up to him. It's pretty awesome when your mentor is a saint too, right? It's a, it's a good combo you got going there. But Ambrose walks up to him and says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm reading the Bible. You can't be reading the Bible. You're not doing it in a group. And I just think the scripture is always meant, and we keep on coming back to this, the scripture is meant to be read collectively. That I can get what Kelly sees out of that scripture. Because Kelly sees the world drastically different than me. And so when we bring the scripture together and, and these points, she taught me yesterday, she was writing a kid's curriculum, and she was like, oh, the story about Jeremiah, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what are you talking about? And she brought a whole other angle to this, this scripture than I wasn't even expecting. I got a master's degree in this stuff, and I'm still like, oh, I learned something from the preschool lesson. Sweet. <laughs> so this is good. This is good. Uh, and so, but she brings this whole other angle, and the same way happens is when we're in the men's group or whatever, and we're dissecting the scripture, and we're looking at it, and I'm overthinking it because that's what I do with scripture. And then somebody says, I just thought it meant this. I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Vec, you mean the... The apple meant apple, and red meant red. Okay, we'll deal with that. Um, but it's the idea of group. Does this make sense? It's this, this iron sharpening iron, this, is, this idea of group in community doing faith together. When you're by yourself, when you're 
uh, when you've islanded yourself off, you become more susceptible to attacks. Um, bad attitudes are way easier. Bad attitudes are way harder to get out of by yourself, right? It's hard to be cranky when somebody else is just getting you out of it and getting you out of it and getting you out of it. It's kind of annoying sometimes. You're like, I don't want to talk to that person. They're going to get me out of my bad attitude, right? I, I've got friends like that. <clears throat> I, want to be, I want to have my pity party. I want to be cranky all by myself. But uh, you get out of that quicker when you're with in community and doing life together. There's a guy we've been going through, 1 Samuel. Um, some of my, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you um, like the movie 300 or Gladiator, you will love the book of 1 Samuel. All right? As a junior high boy, this is what I read over and over again. This is what started my love affair with the scripture, is this book, because it, it's just fun. There's all kinds of just crazy, weird awesome things happening. And this, uh, today is one of those crazy, awesome, weird things uh, that um, really started, it's just piqued my interest. Uh, We're going to talk about Jonathan. Jonathan is one of the unsung heroes of Samuel. Uh, The main character, of course, is David, King David. The whole book is more of a life story of how he came to be king. Uh, But there's some other major players that we've talked about in the previous weeks. King Saul and his son, Jonathan, and David. Um, it's, it's named for Samuel, and Samuel's out after like chapter 7. So, um, whoopsie. So Jonathan is uh, the main protagonist of today. Jonathan is a friend that we all need. We all need a Jonathan in our lives. Jonathan's crazy. Just one of those guys, like, what is he doing crazy? Not in a bad, like, he brings drama crazy. Just like a what? He's just goofy. Like, what is he thinking? That is not a, in the realm of possibilities. He's out the box, as my friend Keith Norman would say. He's out the box. Um, he's always there. This happens, this story, we're in chapter uh, 14, I think. Yeah, chapter 14 of the scripture. And uh, we've kind of bracketed him with stories of Saul being weird. And what the author is doing here, in the, if you read the scripture, if you read the whole narrative uh, he's kind of showing how terrible Saul is and even how good Jonathan is and then how terrible Saul is and how good David is. He's kind of juxtaposing the literary device there is kind of going back and forth so you really get ingrained. Saul is a nincompoop and, the, and David and Jonathan have it going on. Okay, that's what he's really doing. That's a theological term, nincompoop. Um, <laughs> Surprised you didn't know that. Okay. So let's Samuel verse one through fifteen. I'm going to read some big names here. Do not get thrown off by the big names. I want you to get the. We'll kind of rehash the story, okay? So don't get thrown off because there's some goofy mispronunciations getting ready to come out of my mouth. Okay. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, "Come on, let's go to where the Philistines have their outpost." But Jonathan did not tell his father what he's doing. Every story starts out wonderfully when it starts out with he didn't tell his dad what he's doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree in Migron. You know you don't have very many trees when, like, you are... This is like in the south. Go to the old barn, take a left, go down the holler. This is what this is. They're at the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. I did it well. Awesome. Um, No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. 
to reach the Philistine outpost. Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called, the, called Bo, Bozes and Sinia. The cliff on the north was the front of Michmash, and the one on the south was the front of Geba. Let's go out to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, but for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win the battle whether he has warriors or many warriors or a few. This is where the crazy part is. Like, hey, we're going to go take just meet him and his, his buddy. Hey, maybe God's going to be with us. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. Just climbed a mountain, so hey, it's fun. Armor bearer's response is classic. Do what you think's best, the armor bearer said. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up. <laughs> not just a hat rack there on Jonathan. <laughs> But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. Because we need an invitation, apparently. <laughs> to fight. That, we will, that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their ho- holes. Then the men on the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed those who came behind them. Oh, sorry. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and the armor bearer killed those who came behind him. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over a half an acre. Suddenly, a panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Okay. So... Everybody capture 300 in your head right now. This is what's happening. Jonathan and his armor bearer, what does it say? Hands and feet climbing. This is not the proper military attack strategy. Not sure. Never been in a, a, a battle, but I'm pretty sure that I would need my hands or at least my feet free so I can defend myself. So they are climbing up a sheer rock face to go attack people that outnumber them. What? 10 to 1? It's 20 guys to 2? Yeah. Ten to one. Look at that math for me. Budget meeting tonight, baby. Woo! All right. <laughs> it's been hard. It's been a rough week for me. I had to do math all week long. Uh, so I, I read for a living and write, uh, not uh, not math. So what they do, they climb up this and they attack. Now, one of the things you need to know about Jonathan, Jonathan is an elite warrior of the Israelite army. He is one of only two people that has an iron weapon. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, everyone else has bronze weapons. So what that makes um, Jonathan is he basically has an Uzi and everybody else has a paintball gun. Okay, so he is an elite fighting force. He's, him and his dad are the only people in the whole entire army that have iron weapons. This is really important when you get to Goliath in a couple chapters, right? Because Goliath's got a, a spear with like a 10-pound spearhead on it, which is the equivalent of a cruise missile back in the Bronze Age, right? And they go, like butter. It just, choop, 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 choop. You can impale all kinds of people in there. It'd be bad. Sorry. I told you, junior high boy comes out when I read 1 Samuel. <laughs> so what's going on here is Samuel comes up and he starts just attacking all these guys. But it says he's killing the guys in front and the armor bearer is protecting his back and killing the guys in the back. The armor bearer's job is to protect the weak side 
of Jonathan so he can do his job. The whole purpose of an armor bearer actually is for chariots. And so where, where they come from is you have a, a driver for a chariot, you have the armor bearer, and then you'd have the warrior who would have the spears or the bow and arrow to do his thing. And the armor bearer's job is to catch the arrows and the spears coming at his, his buddy. That's his job is to defend, to hold his back, to be like, you don't have to worry about what's happening to your side and to your back. I got that covered. You just concentrate on your job. How many of us in life need that? Right? We need somebody. I don't have to worry about stuff because you're catching those arrows. Don't worry about it. As as married people, this is not in, in, in the message, but as married people, you have got to be armor bearers for each other. You can't be the one throwing arrows and spears at your spouse. You have to be the one catching them and deflecting them. Can I get an amen on that? All right. Come on, somebody. Jonathan has this mentality of, I love that line, perhaps, perhaps God, God will go up with us. He is not afraid to risk. He is not afraid to risk. One of the key factors in, in someone who is, is going to do next steps with you, how do you become a person who is going to be a, a next steps kind of person? How are you going to be a Jonathan or an armor bearer person in a relationship? How are you going to do that? You have to be willing to risk. You have to be willing to risk. Because you cannot build a deep relationship if you're not willing to be vulnerable. If it stays, if your conversations with your best friend stays, well, the Cubs are bad this year. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The Cubs are going to be bad, and they're going to be bad, and they're going to be bad. And, or poor Ernie Banks, right? Never got to go to a playoff game. Greatest Cub player of all time. He never played in a playoff game. Has nothing to do with his message, but ouch, I feel bad for the guy. You've got to be willing to risk. You've got to be willing to go the extra mile. You've got to be willing to go do something crazy for the other person. Because once you start to risk, you start to bind together. Think about the times when memories are made, especially for guys. The story probably starts with, so there I was, or we weren't supposed to be there, or this was really really dumb, right? But you remember those coalesced your memories. And it's when, when the brotherhood or the sisterhood has actually started to, to bind together, when the, those relationships grow deeper. Do you think that armor bearer always had Jonathan's back after this moment? I mean, can you imagine how inseparable they would have been in that? Jonathan does this. He is willing to be vulnerable. He has like this complex of, I'm not going to die uh, type thing going on. Because when David, his best friend, is threatened. His life is threatened. Jonathan develops like the secret code to save David's life. He starts, David's out in the, um, there's this beautiful scene in the scripture where David is out in a corn, or not a cornfield, a wheat field. And he said, hey, if your dad's going to go, going to try to kill me, shoot an arrow past me and say, run a little farther. And Jonathan's like, my dad's not going to kill you. He's like, Jonathan, your dad's going to try to kill me. I got to leave. And this is beautiful best friend moment where they're never going to see each other again, and they've got to, got to divide. And, and David's out in the in the probably the wheat or barley field laying down, and Jonathan takes a bow and arrow and shoots it and says, "Hey, keep on going, it's farther." And they never say anything. He just goes off, but he's willing to risk because what's he doing? He's choosing David's security 
over Saul's security. He is risking it. Even in their final act of friendship together, they're risking uh, for, their, for their love of each other and their care of each other, and it binds them in a, in a very unique way. In your relationships, as you think about, even in your marriage relationships and your friendships, the moments in which you probably have grown closest is when you've risked the most. I remember the conversations with Kel talking about moving up here. I mean, we, we have a house in Georgia. We have a job in Georgia. We have friends in Georgia. You really want to move to Chicago? I hear it's cold there. <laughs> but in those moments, there's, there's these conversations of, of really peering into each other's heart and saying, what, are, you, are you willing to do this? Do you want to do this? Are, you, are, are we sure? Is this really where God's going? This risk of, hey, let's pick up everything and go. And uh, maybe God's not calling you to do that. Maybe it's on a, a smaller level. But still the idea of we're risking something together. Maybe it's this new business venture. Maybe it's this new investing thing. Maybe it's I don't go, sending the kids to a different school. Maybe it's changing houses. I don't know what it is for you. But it's that risking together that, that pulls you uh, together. For us, it's picking up you know, a ton of wood over our heads and going, hey, we're not going to die. It's going to be fine. But we're all a little closer today than we were yesterday. <laughs> and to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> second thing people who want to be this armor bearer David type uh, mentality do is they trust. They trust. The armor bearer says, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely. Whatever you decide. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to rewrite some marriage vows to be between this, right? Do what you think is best. I'm with you completely. Whatever you decide. Decide what it's like to have a friend that says that. And this isn't like a, oh, go plant something in that field. This is, we're going to climb the sheer face of a mountain and then do battle. This does not really sound like a good idea. But I'm with you, Jonathan. I have your back. I'm going to protect you through whatever they trust. I think this, this is vital to these kind of relationships. He's, he's trusting him. His whole job is to deflect arrows, to deflect the blows that would be coming towards his head, to protect him so he can do his job. They trust. For so many of us, we're scared of trusting our backside to somebody. But until we're able to trust, and until we're willing to trust like that, we can never become the effective force that we could be. Jonathan couldn't have done this by himself. That takes an armor bearer watching his back. What's next will be more successful if it's done with others. Third thing is they stay. What happens to Jonathan if the armor bearer gets cold feet at the last second? What happens if he, he gets to the mountain and he's like climbing up and he gets scared of heights and he's like, eh, I'm going to go down. They both would, would have gotten picked off. They both would have been crushed. They both would have been killed. They stay. These kind of people stay. When it gets the toughest, they stay. When it gets hard, they stay just like Jonathan does for his dad. Honestly, he's choosing between 
David and his dad. And he's like, I know my dad. My dad's got some issues right now. And I love you, David, but I got to stay. And he stays to help his dad. It ends up in his death. He died. Jonathan dies because he chooses his dad over David in that moment in a battle that goes really bad. But people who do life with you like this stay. And I want to be a person who stays in someone's life. That I, even though it's crazy, maybe what's being asked of me, or things are a little intense, or things are rough, or things are rocky, or the climb is hard to wherever we're going. There's all kinds of metaphors in the scripture, right? But being a person who stays. Too often we're like, ah, that relationship's getting a little difficult. I'm just going to ignore that text. Unfriend on Facebook, whatever you do. You grow apart. And some, some relationships are toxic, and that's a whole other message for another time. But when you're in a relationship who's been strong and been close and been vital to you, when it gets rough, you got to stay. Here at the church, we have a mechanism to try to develop this armor-bearer mentality, this how do we... I can just talk about this, but at the church, we want to develop a process and a procedure in which we, we can help facilitate these kind of relationships for you. And through that, we call them our life groups because we do life together. We do life in groups. Um, and we see all these different things happen in life groups and all the different stages of life and different things that we're dealing with. They are addressed in life groups. Life groups offer the development of relationships in a Christian environment that frankly, isn't there anywhere else. We can, it feels like we do life so alone throughout the week. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're the only Christian you know at your job. No, Yvonne, you're not the only Christian at your job. <laughs> Can't believe you would say that right now. Um, she's the secretary here, by the way. <laughs> um, but we, uh, you might feel like you're the only Christian at your job. You might feel like you're the only um, maybe Christian in your family. You might feel very alone and isolated in your faith and how you're trying to grow closer to God. And life groups offer a point in which we can connect and grow and be supported and develop and have someone who know we're going to have someone who's going to be our armor bearer and be the armor bearer for someone else. This is really, really important. Um, we choose life groups because we need a place to connect. We need a place to connect. We need a place to be able to let our guard down. I know there's certain, there's certain things and certain times in life when you're in environments that feels like you have to have these walls. You have to play almost a, a role or a character in life. And you're, you're playing that role and playing that role and playing that role. And you go, this role is not me. I'm just acting. I'm, I'm filling the part and I need a place that I can actually just be myself. Whatever that looks like. I just, just need to be me. And life groups are supposed to be that. It's a place to make friendship. It's, it's a place to be real. That it's okay to be real. Uh, this takes time in a life group. In our men's group, the first semester, I did 99% of the talking. And everybody's like, okay, because there's a bunch of guys, right? We don't, we, guys coming to life group is a big deal. Guys coming to life, am I going to have to cry? Like, 
That, that is purely voluntary, all right? <laughs> you know, we, 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 talk, we do live groups, and it's like, uh, what, what's going to happen here? You know, and we, we got to keep it very surface level because we wouldn't want to get vulnerable with each other. That'd be kind of creepy. Um, but so the first time that they're, they're there in a life group, it's like, oh, okay. And then maybe in the first session. And we've had, I think this is the third one we just did. And people, the, you know how when men are getting closer with each other because the volume level in the room goes up. At first, guys were like, mm-hmm. Now, we're so obnoxious at Burrito Rico yesterday, I'm surprised they didn't kick us out. Just outed myself to Kelly that I went to Burrito Rico. <laughs> I ate the dinner and everything. Ah! <laughs> She's in here today. She's usually in the kids' wing. I'm usually okay. <laughs> I told her. Actually, she figured it out. She's like, when you were an hour and a half after Paul posted the picture to Facebook, I knew what was going on. Armor bear, come on, man. <laughs> One of the values of this church is we have fun together, and I hope you see that, okay? Um, we need a place to connect. But seriously, in, in life groups, we can tell, I can tell when it's going to be a good night in life groups because the volume level is loud even before we drink our first cup of coffee. Like things are just, we're just going to be loud and obnoxious, and that's who we're going to be, and it's going to be great. I can do loud and obnoxious. It's one of my spiritual gifts, Patty. <laughs> it's a place, ma- Mom. All right. Uh, we need a place to support. Life groups are a place of support. Life groups are a place of support. We do this because life groups are creating environments in which you can be supported by others. Life groups are the primary pastoral care unit of this church. That I love it. I will get some a phone call from somebody when they get home from the hospital and I'm like, "Okay, you didn't tell me. Well, so and so's been here and so and so's been here and so and so's very good's been in the rehab and this morning everybody's like, "Oh, I went sorry. Oh, I went sorry. My car, I, I blew a tire. I, we were doing a car shuffle. I couldn't get to see her yet this week. And she's been visited by all kinds of people." I'm like, I've been calling her. Don't yell at me. I've been calling her and texting her. Uh, but but there, you know, she broke her foot this week, but her pastoral care was done. Her pastoral care was by the people who love her and care for her has been, have been loving her all week long. That is beautiful, and that's one of the things. Because as this church grows bigger, if God blesses, uh, chooses to make this church bigger and says, draws people in, to it, we have to, as we get bigger, we have to get smaller. We have to concentrate very hard on being close to one another and having small groups of people that will love and care for each other. And that's what life groups about. We need a place to support. We need a place that I know that I'm being prayed for personally. It's very easy for me to blanket prayer. Oh, be with everybody in the church and whatever they're going with. Does God answer that prayer? I believe so. It's a powerful prayer. But it's different when I pray for somebody by name because I know exactly what's going on, when I say, I'm praying for Paul this week because he told me this at Life Group, and we need, I need to be very specific about this, God, and my heart is just joining in with him today as he struggles with blank. See, there's a little personality in that, but that only comes through the trust and through the connectivity of life groups. We need a place of accountability. We need to have people in our lives that can say, hey, you're messing up. You told me you're working on X. 
and you just talked for the last half an hour about how you're messing up with X, I got to push back on you. I got to smack you upside the head a little bit. I got to Gibbs you. And that's needed. And that's what one of the major things for life groups. Think about it. Everything is done is easier for a next step when it's done with others. Whether it's a diet, right? Last year we got on the Daniel plan, all kinds of things. Kelly was like team mom. She like would send out the, the meals for the week, and like Perry's like, well, I'm just eating a bag of spinach. And so we would we would, we, we would kind of kind of coalesced around this Daniel plan thing and did it together. There's no way any of us would have done it in total vacuum by ourselves. Can you imagine if I'm eating like a, a deep fried chicken and Kelly's over there trying to eat the you know the perfect Daniel plan clean food? Mmm, like, the grease coming down my face. She just smacked me. She just poisoned my food or something. So it's better when it's done together, when you're trying to work out and try to get healthy. Oh, my gosh. You know, working out by yourself. Ah, I did a crunch when I got out of bed, right? Uh, that's a workout. Whew, need a shower now. You know, that's, that's what we do. We do, but if someone else is going to meet you at the gym, oh, well, they're going to, you know, they're going to, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's accountability in that. It's accountability spiritually. Anytime we try to get healthy, it's a process. If it's emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, physically healthy, it's a process, and we need accountability in that. And life groups is one of the ways in which that is achieved. We need a place to grow. And this one's cool. This is really neat. Life groups need to be and can be a safe place to ask the silly questions. Like, I just don't know the answer to this. Who is Abraham? Jared keeps on talking about these characters. Who's David? He mentioned it five times in the message. Got no clue who he is. Can someone help me out? That's a great place for that. You could also just email me, and I'm sorry if I've, I've glossed over something. There's no silly questions. There's no bad questions. It's time to be, if you're going to be open and honest, like, what's going on here? Let's work on it. As I just said, I learned something from the preschool lesson. This is my job. Right? There's no silly questions. That's one of the things that, that, that life groups do really great is they have an atmosphere. This is not really a Q&A time here on Sunday morning, but life groups can be, can be such an interactive portion. It's a place to experience prayer. Maybe you've kind of, I don't know what this prayer thing's about. I've never really prayed. I don't pray the way Jared prays. I don't pray the way my mom prays. I don't pray the way, you know, all these different, how, do, how does that work? And life groups offers a different atmosphere to, to kind of maybe even figure out what your prayer life looks like. And it's a place to experience the scripture. It's a place to, to really delve into the Bible in ways maybe you've uh, never done before, maybe for the very first time, in a non-threatening way. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been trying over the last few weeks to show you how kind of to study the Old Testament by yourself. What we've done in these last messages is take a, a chunk of Scripture and then apply it to today. What am I doing here? We just, we're just applying it to today. Um, the Old Testament, we get gloss over it a lot sometimes because we don't need, see how it can apply to us. But we've, we've taken what Jonathan can do. Anybody can do that. Just read Jonathan. Like, what, How would this make me a better friend? Okay, I'm going to read Jonathan. What's the question? How am I gonna be, how's the Bible going to help me be a better friend? I'm going to read this story. Oh. He's crazy. How, do I, how, how am I crazy, passionate? How am I crazy, compassionate for my friends? How does that work? As we delve into life groups, life groups launch in two weeks. 
there. Um, we didn't want to launch it on Super Bowl Day because that would have just been bad. Um, but signups are under the TV in the lobby. We have some fantastic life groups. I'm really excited. Life groups here at the church are we, one of our best statistics is our participation in life groups. This is great. We have about 60% uh, participation of our church in life groups. Most churches have like 25 to 30. So this is, we're fantastic with this. This is something we still can improve on. Until we're at 100%, we're not there, right? So we're doing a great job, great job with it, but we can do more. And I want to urge you, we're offering a few more life groups. Basically, the number of life groups we had um, since last year have doubled. Um, there's all kinds of women's and men's things and uh, point of life uh, ones. There's even this year, we're really excited about launching a financial peace um, university. There's a Dave Ramsey um, Life group, which is going to be geared towards getting you financially healthy. And uh, that's going to be a Wednesday night here at the church. It'll be a fabulous time. If that's something you're interested in, please talk to Perry, who's in the blue shirt in the back, uh, or sign up there. We, there is a financial cost uh, with that one. All the other ones are basically free or just the cost of books. But we want you to, 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 do, to be able to take the next steps, whether it's financial health, whether it's biblical health, whatever that looks like. We have emotional health ones. They're all centered on the scripture to take you to the next level. We, want, we feel very passionately about building these relationships. I've been a recipient of having amazing, amazing godly men in my life who would, not, who would have been my armor bearers, who excelled at deflecting blows that were aimed at my head. And those are some of the best relationships. When I think about back on them, they were the best relationships I've had in my life. And those relationships we can have here at this church. What happens when we walk in this door and we know the people that I see, they're all going to protect me. They're all going to, they're willing to go into battle with me. Whether that looks like fighting for my kids or fighting for my husband, fighting for my, my marriage, they're willing to go to battle with me. And that's, that's really what we're trying to foster here as we take next steps with our life groups. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this moment and this time and this place. Lord, I thank you for examples like Jonathan, as exciting as they are, as interesting as they are, as kind of out of the box that they are, that you can show us in the scripture what it's like to be a real friend, to be a stand-up kind of guy, to go the extra mile, to be willing to climb mountains for our friends. God, as our, our growth track starts, our, our, our life groups start, I ask you to bless these leaders. As some of them are taking the step for the very first time of being a leader, of being a teacher, that kind of makes them nervous, Lord. When I ask that you would anoint these times these would be moments of community and moments of, of heart connection. That lives would be changed through these, through these just meetings, through these eight-week times that you would do something miraculous in people's lives. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen.